We're going to look at those verses today. We're going to see what we need to do to be prepared to meet our God through these verses. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for today. I pray that you would guide us in, uh, through this passage and be with us, I pray. I pray that you would speak to our hearts. Fill me with your Holy Spirit that I would say exactly what you would have me to say. And I pray that you would help us to be prepared. In Jesus' name I pray these things. Amen. Well, the Bible tells us that one day we'll all stand before God. In truth, we will all kneel before him. Uh, Philippians chapter 2 verse 10 says that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow of things in heaven, of things in earth, of things under the earth. Everyone will bow before him one day. So everyone will give an account for what they have done with their life and uh, that they, they have been given a life to live for him and they're going to give an account for what they have done with it. Second Corinthians 5.10 tells us, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Here in Amos chapter 4, verse 12, Amos warns Israel, prepare to meet thy God. Israel is God's chosen people. They are loved by God. When they followed after him, they prospered and he, they were protected. When they followed after false gods, God, just like any loving father, chastened them to get their attention, to bring them back to the right way. Before God ever sent any kind of chastisement, however, he always sent to them a prophet to warn them, to tell them that they needed to change. He always sent men of God to warn them. Amos chapter 3, verse 7, we looked at last week. He says, Surely the Lord God will do nothing, but he revealeth his secret unto his servants, the prophets. He won't do anything to chastise them, until he has already warned them by the prophets. He's a loving father. But Israel continued in their path away from God. Here in Amos chapter 4, we see the second oracle given by, by Amos to try to get the attention of the people of Israel. If you'll remember, Amos was a sheep herder in the nation of Judah. And he was sent by God to the nation of Israel uh, to proclaim the truth that they were going to be judged if they didn't repent. And in this, in this prophetic message, there's a message for us today, I believe, with all my heart. Are you prepared to meet your God? Now, we're not talking about, although this is true, and we'll talk, discuss this, we're not talking about are you saved or are you unsaved. But we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, the Bible says, and we will answer to what we have done for, in this life, both good and bad. We will not be judged eternally by, by, in hell. We will not. But all of our works will go through the fire, the Bible says. And some will pass through with gold and silver and precious stones, and some as wood, hay, and stubble. And the efforts of our life will, if they are uh, not done for the cause of Christ and not done uh, with Christ, will be burned up. And it will be wasted moments. But those that were done for Christ will be, come out as, uh, as, as purified gold, silver, and precious stones. And thus, the Bible tells us we'll have a reward for that which we've done good. Uh, and this prophetic message today is a warning for us. Are you prepared for that day? On, uh, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you will not stand before him at the great white throne judgment, as is spoken to us in, in the Bible, where they will be determined and their books will be opened. And if your name is not found in that book, the Lamb's Book of Life, then you'll be sent 
into eternal darkness, into hell. The only way to get your name into the Lamb's book of life is to accept Christ as your Savior. Romans 10, 9 and 10 tells us that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart, with a heart man, uh, man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. A few verses later it says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Aren't you glad that that doesn't say whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord might be saved? Amen? It shall be saved. But when I speak of being prepared to meet your God, I, I, I come with the assumption that the majority of us know Christ. There may be some here who do not. And we'll, just, we'll talk to you too. But I'm speaking to the majority of Christians here. And I'm asking you, are you ready to stand at the judgment seat of Christ to give an answer for the life that Christ has given you? Are you prepared to meet your God? I see within this message of warning for Israel four things that God is very interested in. Things that will help us. Four failures of Israel, but four things that we can do to help us be prepared to meet our God. We can be prepared to meet our God, first of all, number one, by being compassionate. Verses 1 through 3 talk about this. He says in verse number 1, we see the, the instance to where they were not compassionate in Israel in these verses. It says, hear this word, ye kind of Bashan, that are in the mountain of Samaria, which oppress the poor, which crush the needy, which say to their masters, bring and let us drink. The Lord God hath sworn by his holiness that, lo, the day shall come upon you, that he will take you away with hooks and your posterity with fish hooks. And you shall go out at the breaches, every cow at that which is before her, and you shall cast them into the palace, saith the Lord. In verse number one, we see three wrongs that were committed here. They were oppressing the poor. They were crushing the needy. They were being disrespectful to their master. He begins by speaking directly to the kind of the kind of Bashan. Uh, Bashan is known as being a very fruitful part of the land there, full of cattle that grew fat on the rich vegetation of the area. And most commentators and Bible students believe that Amos is specifically speaking to the wealthy wives of the area. I know in our culture that's insulting to think of a woman and call her a heifer, and that that's uh, that you have to take out our our culture out of here, okay? Uh, and don't uh, be angry at this, okay? This was not uh, an insulting thing. It was just a picture. Uh, it, he wasn't being insulting to them. But, uh, but they were, he was talking about they were dwelling in their prosperity and they were indulgent uh, because of the fruitfulness of the land, just like those cattle in that area were, had everything they wanted and were able to grow fat from it. The, uh, the, the, the people of that, of that time in that area were able to, to dwell in their prosperity and grew fat in the way of their, uh, they, they became indulgent in that prosperity. And again, it's not an anti-woman statement, but rather it's a statement on the selfish luxury that was built on the oppression of the poor. The verbs that are used here in this verse number one are, are participles, suggesting a habitual activity. They continually did this. And this wasn't a one-time lack of compassion. 
This became a way of life that was condemned. Their lack of compassion for those around them was habitual. And this is shown as one of the many reasons why they were not prepared to meet their God. God, in response to this, swears by his holiness, by his very nature. He is holy, so therefore he has to act. And act he will. He says that these spoiled, uncompassionate women will be taken away with hooks. The Assyrian army that was prophesied would come and take these people captive were well known by, for leading their captives away by literally placing hooks through their noses or lips and leading them away as captive to their new home. A gruesome thought. But this is what he is, pro this is what he is prophesying here. Verse 3 talks about them being led out through the breaches. And speaking of the holes in the walls where their defenses were torn down. And they will, be they will be brought through those holes as a testament that they have been beaten. They'll be cast into the palace. And I, that doesn't sound too bad right now, does it? But until we realize that the word translated palace is the word harmon. Sorry, Mrs. Harmon. Uh, we're not talking about you. Uh, but the, the word is harmon. Uh, it's a foreign palace where they were kept. And it's a place of cruelty, not a place of pleasure. Historically, most do not view this as a luxurious, comfortable location. Why is compassion so important to God? Compassion is a show of the very nature of God himself. His mercy and his compassion. Exodus 34, 6 says, The Lord passed by before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth. That's the God who we serve. And we are made in his image. And therefore, we are to be compassionate like he is compassionate. We're expected to reflect his nature in our life and in our actions. And the Greek word that is used for compassion in the Bible is orkteremos. It's one of the places we see this word is Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. It says, put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy. That's that word right there. Bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering. It's an idea of deep-rooted compassion. In the King James, it's bowels of mercy. It means an inner intensity of mercy. How is our heart affected when we see the plight of the poor around us? Are we moved with compassion or do we just ignore it? By the way, we may be moved with compassion, but compassion speaks to action. It's not just feeling bad for, oh, I feel bad for them and move on. It's seeing the torment or seeing the situation they're in and doing what you can to fix it. How are we affected when we see the abandoned and hurting? Does it move us to action to help them? If not, we are guilty of the same thing that they were being judged for. William Booth was greatly stirred by the need of the poor in London. He realized that most churches were doing nothing to reach the undesirables, <coughs> the drunkards, the morphine addicts, the prostitutes, the poor. And he set out to reach them with what he called the three S's. Soup, soap, 
and salvation. <laughs> Amen. And thousands were saved among those that most of the churches had no interest in reaching. Booth gave his life for the cause of reaching other people. In his 80s, Booth's work began to be hindered by his blindness. He briefly lost his sight and then recovered it, but later he ended up losing his vision permanently. His son, Bramwell, came to him uh, to bring him the bad news that he would probably never see again. And Booth replied, God must know best. I have done what I could for God and the people with my eyes. Now I shall do what I can for God and the people without my eyes. What a testimony of compassion, amen. Are we allowing the suffering to continue around us and continuing to benefit from it? Oh, if we were in that situation, many of us would just feel sorry for ourselves and stay within our homes and stay within our bubble where we feel safe. But those who are moved by compassion go outside the realm of comfort and go to comfort others. Recently came to my attention by the way of the news of a popular sales app, Timu. This news article says that it is strongly connected to forced labor, labor, to slavery. The app is selling products that are being made by slaves in other countries. I had previously bought a couple of products from this app, knowing it probably wasn't the best quality, but just wanted to see what it was like. But when I read this news article and realized that in this country, many Christians, my brothers and sisters in Christ, are arrested for serving Christ and made into, forced into slave labor in this part of the world. They're forced to labor for their captives so that their captives can make money. When we participate in products like this, things that we have been told have strong links to this kind of thing, we're part of the problem. I deleted the app from my phone and I'll never use it again. And this is just one area, but when we hear about things like this, are we more concerned about comfort, about getting good deals, or are we more concerned about having justice prevail, about having compassion in our hearts and in our actions? God is concerned about our compassion. Having compassion is one way that we can be prepared to meet God, but he gives us more. And the second thing I see in this chapter that we, need, we can be prepared is by, number two, pure worship. Pure worship. Verses 4 and 5 says, Come to Bethel and transgress. At Gilgal multiply transgression, and bring your sacrifices every morning, your tithes after three years. Offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving with leaven, and proclaim and publish the free offerings, for this liketh you, O ye children of Israel, saith the Lord. Some of these things, these verses almost sound like it's good, but you have to look at the words very carefully. The focus now switches to the religious practices of Israel. The people were faithful to, to their worship. They came and brought their sacrifices to Bethel and to Gilgal, two famous places of worship and sacrifice in Israel. But notice a few things. Pure worship is, first of all, I'm sorry, I just tried to push something here. Uh, you can figure, uh, so first of all, is not self-applauding. They, they came often, regularly to worship, but their focus of their worship was on themselves. 
They were bragging about their own contributions. They said, and they, it says they'd come and proclaim and publish the free offerings. They were publishing what they were doing. It was a matter of pride, a matter of getting praise for themselves. They brought the offering, but made sure everyone knew what they brought. When your worship is focused on yourself more than it is focused on your God, you are not ready to meet your God. He will be angry about this hypocrisy, just as he was angry with Israel's. When we come to church to be heard and seen more than to hear and to see, our heart is wrong and our worship is tainted. Pure worship is not self-applauding. Secondly, self-worship is not self-focused. Their worship ignored God's word and focused on how they wanted to offer, what they wanted to offer God. Verse 5 tells us that they were offering a sacrifice of thanksgiving with leaven. What's wrong with that? Well, the Bible directly tells them it should be unleavened. Leviticus 2.11 says, No meat offering which ye shall bring unto the Lord shall be made with leaven. For ye shall burn no leaven, nor any honey, in any offering of the Lord made by fire. Leaven is a symbol of permeation through the Bible, whether for good or for bad, but it's often used as a sign of sin. The image here is that their selfishness and their self-indulgence had permeated even to their worship and their offerings to God. That which is to be pure from the heart has been tainted by sin. I wonder if our worship, our offerings to God, are done our way or God's way. God has every right to tell us how to worship Him. He is our God. Is your focus more on your feelings or how it makes you feel? Or how it makes God feel. The sin was self-focus. But then we see that their worship was also self-satisfying. It was focused on what they wanted and what they loved. The last part of verse 5 says, For this liketh you, O you children of Israel, saith the Lord. The phrase speaks of doing that which you like, doing that which you love, rather than doing what God, what is God-glorifying. There's no humility, no sense of awe at being in the presence of God. It was just for show, just something to make them feel better. How many people go to church every week just because it's the right thing to do or it makes them feel better for a week? We need to be serving the Lord and attending church to see how we can serve Him and focus on Him, not on ourselves. It's not to be a show. Or something that will make us feel better. I, I, now don't get me wrong. I'm grateful that we're able to feel better when we come to church. Amen. And there's nothing wrong with that. But if self is the focus, this is the problem. It's not pure worship. Most Christians today choose their church based upon the worship style or the personality of the preacher. Rather than truly seeking God's will for their family where they will be fed and grow. People pick all kinds of reasons to stop attending church. I, I, I just recently this week read a thing. It's a commentary on why people, reasons people choose not to attend church. But they said it in this way. Twelve reasons why I don't go to sporting events anymore. 
and listen and see if you can find the connection. Number one, every time I went, they asked me for money. Number two, the people sitting in my row didn't seem very friendly. Number three, the seats were very hard. Number four, the coach never came to visit me. Number five, the referees made a decision I didn't agree with. Number six, I was sitting with hypocrites. They only came to see what others were wearing. Number seven, some games went into overtime and I was getting home late. Number eight, the band played some songs I'd never heard before. Number nine, the games are scheduled on my only day to sleep in and run errands. Number 10, my parents took me to too many games when I was growing up. Number 11, since I read a book on sports, I feel like I know more than the coaches anyways. And number 12, I don't want to take my children because I want them to choose for themselves what sports they like best. Sounds silly, doesn't it, coming from sports? But when we apply it to church, it's just as silly. Amen? We need to determine where God wants us to be and worship Him in humility and focus upon Him, not upon ourselves, not what we want and satisfying self. Worship is not about me. It's about God. How can we be prepared to meet God? By being compassionate. By having pure worship. We can be prepared to meet God by number three, remembering. Remembering. Amos, Amos begins to list the times that God had reached out to them through chastisement. And they would not hear. They, didn't, they refused to listen. Now he's going to have to up the chastisement to get their attention. And he's warning them of that. Beginning in verse number 6, he says, And I also have given you cleanness of teeth in all your cities, and want of bread in all your places. You have, yet have you not returned to me. The cleanness, uh, well, we'll talk about that in a minute. Verse number 7, it says, And also I have withholden the rain from you, when there were yet three months to harvest. And I caused it to rain upon one city, and caused it not to rain upon another. One piece was rained upon, and the other uh, piece, whereupon it rained not withered. So two or three cities wandered unto one city to drink water, but they were not satisfied. Yet have you not returned unto me, saith the Lord. Listen to that repeated phrase. I have smitten you with blasting and with mildew. When your gardens and your vineyards and your fig trees and olive trees increased, the palmer worm devoured them. Yet have you not returned unto me, saith the Lord. I have sent among you the pestilence after the manner of Egypt, your young men have I slain with the sword and have taken away your horses and I have made the stink of your camps to come up unto your nostrils. And yet have you not returned unto me, saith the Lord. I have overthrown some of you as God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah and ye were as a firebrand plucked out of the burning. Yet have you not returned unto me, saith the Lord. God has been work among his people all this time. And he's showing them instance after instance. Them, uh, eight different times in the first person, God claims to be responsible for the things that happened unto them. How he worked in their lives to get their attention. Their cleanness of teeth he talked about and want of bread. and No need to wash their teeth because they're clean because there's nothing to eat. 
Number two, withheld rain from them. Number three, caused it to rain on one city and withheld it from another, causing them to wander from city to city just to try to find something to drink. Fourthly, he caused their lands to be scorched and at other times waterlogged and become mildewy. And five, when they, didn't have, when they did have figs and olives that they began to grow, a palmer worm, a kind of locust that devoured the plants, came in and destroyed everything. Number six, he used plagues like that he saw in Egypt to try to get their attention. Seventh, he caused them to lose battles so they saw the loss of their sons and even their horses in battle. Eighth, cities were overthrown by God's own hand. And yet the statement is made over and over and over and over again. Yet have you not returned unto me, saith the Lord. I've done all this to get your attention, he says, to get you to return to me, but you chose not to obey. They refused to remember and learn from the past. It's been said that those who do not learn from history are doomed to repeat it. Paul Harvey told the story of an old man in goals. He said it is gratitude that prompted an old man to visit an old broken pier on the eastern seacoast of Florida. Every Friday night until his death in 1973, he would return walking slowly and slightly stooped with a large bucket of shrimp. The seagulls would flock to this old man and he would feed them from his bucket. Many years before, in October 1942, Captain Eddie Rickenbacker was on a mission in a B-17 to deliver an important message to General Douglas MacArthur in New Guinea. But there was an unexpected detour which would hurl Captain Eddie into the most harrowing adventure of his life. Somewhere over the South Pacific, the Flying Fortress became lost because of, uh, beyond the reach of radio. Fuel ran dangerously low, so the men ditched the plane in the ocean. For nearly a month, Captain Eddie and his companions would fight the water and the weather and the scorching sun. They spent many sleepless nights recoiling as giant sharks rammed their craft. The largest raft was nine by five. The biggest shark was ten foot long. But all, of all their enemies at sea, one proved most formidable. Starvation. Eight days out, their rations were long gone or destroyed by salt water. It would take a miracle to sustain them, and a miracle occurred. In Captain Eddie's own words, Cherry, that was the B-17 pilot, Captain William Cherry, read the service that afternoon and we finished with a prayer for deliverance and a hymn of praise. There was some talk, but it tapered off in the oppressive heat. With my hat pulled down over my eyes to keep out some of the glare, I dozed off. Now this is still Captain Reckenberger talking. He says, something landed on my head. I knew that it was a seagull. I don't know how I knew, I just knew. Everyone else knew too, and no one said a word. But peering out from under my hat brim without moving my head, I could see the expression on their faces. They were staring at that goal. The goal meant food, if they could catch it. The rest, as they say, is history. Captain Eddie caught the goal. Its flesh was eaten. Its intestines were used for bait to catch fish. And the survivors were sustained and their hopes renewed because of a lone seagull. 
uncharacteristically hundreds of miles from land. Offered itself as a sacrifice, if you will. You know that Captain Eddie made it. Of course, he's there on the pier. Now you also know that he never forgot. Because every Friday evening about sunset, on a lonely stretch along the eastern Florida seacoast, you can see an old man walking, white-haired, bushy-eyebrowed, slightly bent, his bucket full of shrimp, and he was feeding the gulls. To remember that one which one day long past gave itself without struggle, like manna in the wilderness. Here was a man that remembered the sacrifice of a bird and faithfully fed other seagulls in remembrance of that. Nothing wrong with that, of course. And yet, how does our life show forth the remembrance of the sacrifice of someone far dearer than a seagull? Someone who gave his all for us. Are we living in remembrance? Something as faithful as every week, him feeding seagulls. What are we doing for the cause of Christ? Remembrance of what he has done for us. Remembrance of the past challenges that we have faced to get our attention and pull us back, to get our attention and bring us back to him. Remembrance of the importance of returning unto him. How can we be ready to meet our God by being compassionate, first of all? Living outside ourselves and seeing the hurting around us and acting to do something about it. Secondly, pure worship. Not, what, uh, not how we want to worship, but how he wants us to worship. Not focused on ourselves, but focused on him. By remembering. Remembering the challenges we faced. Remembering the grace that we received. Remembering the good things that he has done for us. How can we prepare to meet our God? Number four. By bowing in humility. By bowing in humility. Verses 12 and 13, the Bible says... Therefore, thus will I do unto thee, O Israel, and because I will do this unto thee, prepare to meet thy God, O Israel. For lo, he that formeth the mountains and createth wind, and declareth unto man what is his thought, that maketh the morning darkness, and treadeth upon the high places of the earth, the Lord thy God of hosts is his name. A failure to do these preparations will result in the chastisement of God, the same as Israel faced. Because you have ignored these things, this is what I will do unto you, O Israel, he says. Prepare to meet thy God. Earlier in the book of Amos, we saw the lion roaring. Judgment is coming. He then begins to show forth his resume and says, this is who I am, the one that brings this judgment. The result should be our bowing in humility before him. We learn from history that this was not the response of Israel. Will this be our response? He that formed the mountains, and by the way, can move them, he is the one warning us. He that created the wind that so often we fear, he is the one that speaks. He that can tell your very thought. I can't read your thoughts. You can't read mine. We often, in fact, deny our own thoughts. But God t t can tell us every single one of them. This is the one that's speaking. He that makes the morning into darkness, 
He that has the power to keep the earth rotating on its axis and keeps the sunrise and the sunset coming. He is the one who is trying to get to our attention. The Lord of hosts is his name. Yahweh Elohim Sabah. The God of the hosts of heaven. The one who controls the army of God. Mighty, victorious, powerful. The one who always wins. This is he who speaks. Are you prepared to meet your God? Do you know 100% sure that if you died today, that you would go to heaven? If you do not know 100% sure, you need to make sure today. The God, the King of glory, the Almighty Judge will judge every single man. The great white throne judgment will show the one thing that matters. Is your name written in the Lamb's book of life? Your name will only be there if you have accepted Jesus as your Savior. You see, we've all sinned. The Bible tells us in Romans 3.10, As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is a penalty for that sin. He tells us in Romans 6.23, For the wages, the wages are what we've earned, we earn wages at a job, so by our actions we earn a paycheck. The wages of our sin is death. But, the most beautiful word in the human language, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. God offers that free gift of eternal life through Christ if we'll put our faith in what he has done for us. God has paid the penalty for us Verses I read earlier, Romans chapter 5, verses 8 through 10, says, But God commendeth his love. He showed his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He continues, says, Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. For if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. He has paid the price. We only need to call upon Him. If you do not know Him as your Savior, pray right now in your seat, in your own words, and tell Him that you are a sinner. And you believe that He has died to pay for that sin. That you are trusting Him now, and only Him, and calling upon Him right now as your Savior. Romans 10, 13, for the whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, shall be saved. If you do know 100% sure that Jesus is your Savior, you are the child of God. The Bible says in John 1.12, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his names. What a great verse, amen? We are the child of God. But as God's child, if we disobey, If we live in sin, we're not ready to meet our Father. The sins of Israel are the sins of many Christians today. I ask the Lord, ask the Lord for forgiveness if you have failed Him in these areas. Pray for Him to help you be more compassionate. Pray for Him to help you worship Him with purity. Ask Him for help in remembering the lessons from your history And how God not only has brought you through, but also brought you back through the negative things that have happened in our lives. 
and ask him to help you bow in humility before him. Are you prepared to meet your God? If not, let's get prepared today, amen? Let's make it right. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for today. We thank you for this passage. And Father, Amos is a difficult passage to preach through, but a difficult book. A lot of speaking of judgment in the first parts of this book. But Lord, it's a message that we all need to hear. We have become complacent. Much, Many Christians in America have become complacent. And we feel like we're doing you a favor by attending church. We're giving you a little bit so that we can satisfy the uh, guilt in our hearts. But Father, that's not what it's about. He doesn't want a part. He wants the whole. He wants our life. I pray, Lord, that you help us to have the courage to yield it to you today. If any of these areas have spoken to our hearts and convicted our hearts that I need to do better in this area, I pray, Lord, that the people, that the people hearing my voice today would yield those areas to you and ask you for your help to do better. If there's anybody here that does not know you as Savior, Lord, may they bow their heads right now and pray and accept Jesus as their Savior. The words don't matter. It's the belief of the heart. And just yield to you today their eternity. I pray that you would bless this verse of invitation as we sing, Lord. Anybody needs to do some business with you, Lord, I pray that they would just bow their head and deal with what they need to deal with and yield it to you. We thank you for the opportunity to have been here today. I pray that you speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name, I pray these things. Amen. Let's all stand together as we sing.